0: Welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 95. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have another guest, Alex Piper.
1: Hello, happy to be here.
0: And we're happy to have you. So today, as the title of the episode might suggest, we're going to be talking about the gun as it relates to humanity in terms of its design, what it says about human nature, why as a weapon type and as a weapon itself, it has proliferated And in future episodes, you and I will be discussing very problematic issues of gun control and gun ownership in the United States. But as a foundation, I wanted to have a more theoretical conversation with you about guns. So I appreciate your willingness to discuss this. As a somewhat broad opening question, I'd like to know why you think the gun is such a popular weapon, both for citizens in the U.S. and elsewhere in the world, but for police forces, for military... What about it makes it so appealing, so effective, etc.?
1: When you're talking about the military or the police force, why the guns are so effective and popular is purely because they are the cheapest, quickest use of violence I think we have. It's hard to like talk about, I think, gun culture without getting a little political, especially from my background, but when you talk about the state and police forces, one of the biggest things is this monopoly of violence idea. So in order to have a state in which rules are established and followed and then enforced The state needs a monopoly over violence, which means they have the means to enforce the rules they're saying they're going to. And guns are an extremely efficient way to do that. They are kind of the user's weapon, basically. At this point, especially in American culture, it seems like guns are so commonplace that it's almost like having a cell phone or something as individual means of violence, which is kind of a shocking idea. But we do live in a culture in which that is relatively accepted. And so for, like, the common person, I think it kind of has that same attractive quality. The idea that this one machine, which is relatively cheap and easy to hold, is the ultimate form of defense or violence. So going from, like, kind of a practical standpoint in which the government and the police force need this type of enforcement tool down to the individual citizen level in which you feel like you have ultimate control over your self-protection or your well-being or your material goods or things like that, I think is what kind of makes a gun universally a really impressive and attractive tool in that sense.
0: And your use of the term defense reminds me of vocabulary we have surrounding guns and other weaponry with which to defend ourselves, because unlike a shield, for example, where its offensive capabilities are relatively limited, a gun, at least in my mind, has really one of two purposes, either to kill or to severely injure someone, because bullets Unless they are, of course, rubber bullets or other projectiles cause tremendous damage. And that's evident in really any scenario. So the idea that you are defending yourself with a gun has always intrigued me because that doesn't seem all that possible unless you do harm or take offensive measures against someone else. And your use of the term attractive is also key here because I do think on an existential level, whether it's a gun or another weapon, people want to feel in control. People want to feel safe. And in terms of practicality, we can't all build fortresses for ourselves. We don't all have secure residences or living spaces. But as you mentioned in terms of economics, you could, for relatively little money, acquire a gun and you have this relatively small device with which you can, quote unquote, defend yourself. And so I think on that level, it is very understandable. And I agree with you that it is troubling and we have very similar politics, but I can see why people, especially those who might feel unsafe or insecure in some way, would desire a gun. And I think insecurity is also key because there's physical safety, but there's also a sense of strength that I think everyone grapples with, whether you feel weak or strong. And to me, a gun offers a very clear symbolic link to a form of strength if you're carrying a gun whether feeble or more muscular you appear strong. People will see the gun and it's a very clear symbol. The gun is so widely depicted and shown in the media that I would be surprised if even a small child nowadays did not know what a gun was. And of course, children all the time play pretend with guns and act as though they have guns or in certain cases have toy guns that look very similar to the actual weapon. And there are very tragic instances where confusion between toys and actual weaponry leads to very tragic circumstances. But my point being, from a marketing standpoint, the gun has done very well. Anyone can identify what a gun is. It's like the Apple logo or any other popular brand. And I know the gun itself is not a brand. But do you think that this widespread cultural knowledge of the gun in some ways feeds its power, both symbolically and socially? Or do you disagree that it's as well known a brand as I'm arguing it is?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. It is so universally understood as source of power or weapon or however someone wants to frame it. I think a lot of it goes back to this ideal American culture or this historical idealism that a lot of times we place on the founding of this country. A lot of it relates to the romantic idea of the Western expansion movement and this idea of rugged individualism, which is an idea from the early 1900s in which American citizens are basically out on their own, surviving, making a life for themselves. And I think a lot of times a gun gets correlated unfairly into this self-protection this self-made status i mean you see how cowboys are romanticized in american culture and as a cowboy out on the western plains this idea that they would fight native americans and they'd have guns to protect themselves always i think adds to their allure and makes guns seem like not necessarily a dangerous thing but kind of this source of strength and and pride and power
0: And for me, that rhetoric is often tied to nationalist and patriotic ideas of how wars are fought and how noble our soldiers are. And I have tremendous respect for the danger that soldiers place themselves into to defend their respective countries. But because of our symbolic preferences as people, our psychological associations with objects, I don't think we code the soldier as the most noble or most powerful in that situation, but rather the weapon they use. And that is certainly up for debate, but I would say that most people who want to own guns do not also take the time to undergo military training, to become professional with the weapon, and to develop the discipline to use it, and also the discipline to know when not to use it. By which I mean to say, I suspect many gun owners feel that a gun is an easy path to the prestige, power, and control that a soldier perhaps might wield and that you could go the route of a soldier, a police officer, someone who is legally allowed to and encouraged to carry a gun as a weapon. But that would take far more time, far more effort, and a gun is a simpler way to attain a similar level of control, protection, safety, etc. And in terms of the romanticized ideals, especially of westward expansion, there are countless instances, especially in the Americas in the early modern era, where Europeans with the gun crossed the Atlantic and wreaked havoc with plenty of inventions and, of course, illnesses that indigenous Americans were not prepared to fight. But the gun was a very deadly and effective tool in American conquest. And I think as a result, it's been coded into our pride of control or power or dominance. But there's a lot there. And I'd love to hear what you think about any of this.
1: Yeah, one thing that you stirred in me in that last little part was this idea that individual citizens trying to attain a certain level of power or respect or something like that. And I think a lot of that, getting a little bit more political, I guess, but a lot of that resonates with me when I think of individual gun owners in the U.S. The trope is commonly that it's a self-defense mechanism and that you have a gun because it's your right and because you can use it in order to protect your family and your well-being. I think that when you are holding a firearm, there's this idea that that is what independence is, basically. There's this idea that you, with a gun, no one can tell you what to do. No one controls your fate. No one's going to be able to do anything you don't want them to do. And that source of power is extremely intoxicating, I believe. And even though it's not sold by using the animalistic fervor of having complete control of your life at the expense of others or in respect to others even, but I do think that plays a major, major role when you're talking about guns on an individual level. When you first brought up the subject, you brought up the shape of the gun or the way the gun is held as a possible reason for why it's attractive or a popular weapon in humanity. Could you elaborate on that?
0: Absolutely. I would say as a design principle, when developing a product or a tool, you would go about it so as to make it easily understood and easily used. And approachable to any given user a keyboard on the computer has keys that are about the size of your fingers so that you can very easily navigate it and you can fit a large number of keys in a relatively small space and with a gun whether you are five years old or 55 it can relatively easily and i imagine comfortably although i've never held a gun fit in your hand And it may sound like an obvious point to some because as human beings, we would always develop tools that work well with our bodies. But I think one scary thing about the gun is that it has been developed so well that it does fit so comfortably and so easily in the hand or wedged against the shoulder of a human being that I think it's almost become too comfortable. And there are situations where children accidentally fire guns, hurting, killing themselves, others around them, And I'm not suggesting that a gun be developed in a more cumbersome or confusing way. But I do think that quote-unquote comfortable design principle has led to the proliferation of guns. Whereas bows and arrows, for example, are harder to carry and take up more space in certain scenarios, a handgun can be very easily concealed and small. Or a large sword as a weapon which again is heavy and might be impossible to carry for younger children or certain people without the strength whereas a gun does not require that and so its design has been so universal almost in the same way that many children nowadays know how to use an iphone that i think there are certain design principles which make the gun not only appealing but easily understood and of course you need to have training if you want to use it correctly And there are, of course, a lot of debates about gun control. But to me, and I apologize for repetition, the terrifying brilliance of the gun design is that it is so simple in its function and so readily appreciated by a user or, in certain cases, an abuser of that tool.
1: Yeah, I think it's absolutely true. I think that that functionality aspect of it, especially as guns throughout the ages became more and more accessible and built in order to be used quickly and efficiently. That definitely holds true. I was just thinking when you talked a lot about how easy it is for a kid to hold a gun, it brought back to memories of childhood kind of in which kids play cops and robbers or play other games and basically mimic the use of a gun extremely often at such a young age that it's hard to imagine there was a whole lot of exposure to the idea of what gun violence actually was. I feel like a lot of that exposure to guns must have come through movies or cartoons or other forms of media, but it certainly couldn't have been coming through the mass media at such a young age. I don't think kids at that age are aware of the serious repercussions of guns and gun violence or gun culture in the U.S., but I do think that it's very easy for media, such as movies and even cartoons, to easily and quickly portray what a gun is and what a gun does.
0: And even in music or auditory examples, the sound of a gunshot, I think, is pretty identifiable. And so a child or someone else might never have seen gunfire, but could easily identify the sound of a gunshot. Because in my mind right now, I have a very clear example of what a gunshot sounds like. So on an auditory level, do you think that that very clear sound helps to propagate the brand of a gun in the same way that Apple's popular computer, the iMac, Has a very distinct startup sound.
1: Yeah, I think the associative nature of our brains to connect big ideas to sounds or to shapes or to objects is incredibly powerful. When you compare guns to Macs, which I think is very interesting, this startup sound of a Mac goes beyond the association to Mac computers and I think actually extends far broader to this idea of modern technology and the modern era of communication. And the connection of Apple products and the instantaneous acquisition of information. So I think the Mac startup sound goes far beyond itself. And in a similar way, the sound of a gun is really, really easily recognized. But I think it's beyond just the fact that it's a cool shape or that it makes a big noise and that it really connects to something far deeper. The sound of a gun is essentially the sound of death. When a gun is fired, it's with the expectation of hitting something, and like you said before, either killing or severely wounding it, whether it be hunting or violence, in the case of violence towards other human beings. So I think from a very young age, children are able to understand that death exists. And when you tie a very simple object with a simple sound and a simple explosion or something like that, the brain quickly associates loud sound gun shape with this vague idea of death, which none of us truly understand, but for kids is even maybe more abstract but still concrete enough that this gunshot in the shape of this gun is tied to something far deeper philosophically or instinctually with us. Just like maybe thousands of years ago, we tied the sight of a tiger or a bear to this idea of death. We now see guns as maybe the most efficient and quick means of a death. And through media and through kind of this cultural explosion of guns, children from a very young age and throughout their lives will be constantly associating this gun and this sound with death. And I think that creates a really, really powerful cycle, similar to this kind of idea of seeing the Mac logo and hearing the Mac sound and connecting that to a larger globalization trend.
0: And in drawing that clear association we have between guns and death, I also think the trend is very understandable in that people may not wish the deaths of others. But I think all of us on some level would like to understand or negotiate our own deaths. It's a very uncomfortable idea to think that you will someday die. And so I think many people, maybe proponents of guns, in the symbolism of the gun, choose not to see the deaths of others, but rather the survival of themselves. It's not that I have control over your death, it's that I have control over my life, I do think there is an understandable phenomenon there through which people will associate the gun and other weapons like it as a means not of survival, but of existential control.
1: You brought up a really interesting point when you say that it's more of a master of your own life as opposed to a master of somebody else's death. But a lot of times, I think instinctually, those two have to go hand in hand. And the gun, another reason that you brought up earlier, but we haven't really elaborated on too much yet, is this idea of impersonality with the gun There is this deep realism, I think, that lives within us and that says that maybe our success or an individual's life has to come at the expense, has to be a zero-sum game with somebody else's failure or someone else's death. And this comes through, I think, a lot of ways evolutionarily, but with a gun, you no longer have to be close to somebody or be within close proximity and have that kind of personal nature with the person that you are attacking or defending against. So in that way, I think the gun has kind of changed the whole conversation internally as far as what defending oneself means, because before the gun, defending oneself physically meant being in close proximity with or to the person that you needed to hurt or kill in whatever circumstance you're talking about. But with a gun, you no longer have to be face to face or in personal contact with the person who you are shooting at, essentially
0: and that idea of detachment is very important in our modern relationship with modern guns which we will touch on in later episodes especially those looking at u.s politics and i agree with you i would argue that the detachment there allows the violence to be far more widespread and far easier to conduct in the same way that firing missiles at someone thousands of miles away doesn't require any up close or personal imagery And to me, human empathy dictates that when you see something up close and personal, you can hear the sounds, the smells, the feel of an environment where violence has taken place, it impacts you far more readily than a distant image or a video. And in a very pessimistic way, I worry that that simultaneous desire for safety, but detachment from the violence you're committing, prevents us from discussing it more thoroughly because... All of us, I feel, want to be far away from violence and memories or images of violence. But for those who believe violence is a means to safety, the gun allows for a curious and almost paradoxical relationship between safety, violence, and detachment, which is understandable in a very troubling way.
1: And when you say everyone wants some detachment from violence, I think that's absolutely true. I don't think anyone wishes upon themselves or people they care about some sort of violence, but with the existence of guns at all, there is this real prisoner's dilemma situation in which if you truly believe that there are people out there who are acting against your self-interest or who are acting in ways in which you could get hurt or you could lose something that you want, having a gun may be the easiest way to comprehend having some sort of power over that. And then it creates... No pun intended, a bit of an arms race in this prisoner's dilemma, in which we'd all be better off maybe without them. Maybe we could all agree if nobody had any guns, then we'd be okay. But it always goes back to this argument that, well, some people will have guns no matter what. So I'm going to make sure I have my own gun to prevent this person, this bad person, from doing something to me and my
0: family. And before we close this episode, what are some things you would like the audience to consider after listening to this conversation?
1: I think one question that really always gets brought up, especially when we get into the more political issue is that is gun infatuation an American problem? Is it an American culture issue? Is there something about growing up in the United States that instills this fascination or even love for firearms at some level? Or is maybe that infatuation kind of cyclical because we have a lack of gun restrictions that they have in other countries in which you aren't exposed as much and therefore maybe just don't care about the gun as much? Another question that I tend to think about, and I like to hear the opposing side because I know where I stand on this, I guess, but Is living in a world without guns truly better than living in a world with some guns? And I think I'm going to exclude police and military in this argument. So I think for the sake of argument, assume that they will still have guns. But is a world in which recreational guns don't exist better than one in which they are prevalent or around at all? And then in what ways do guns actually bring peaceful happiness to individuals? I have an uncle who's an avid hunter. My grandfather was a big hunter, and he owns a lot of guns. He hunts a couple times a year, and he loves it. And by all letter of the law, he's a law-abiding gun owner who just uses his guns for sport to hunt animals. He's legally allowed to hunt. So in this way, maybe guns provide him with a real means of happiness or value in which he can prevent overcrowding, hunt for food, whatever he chooses to do. Is that worth having guns for those types of citizens? What other means to people gain value from guns that are not negative? I have a tendency to push the gun conversation towards this idea that guns maybe just are bad inherently. But I would like to hear or know about people's ideas, experiences with guns in which are extremely positive and maybe even healthy.
0: And knowing our audience, I'd be really curious to hear about the relationships different demographics have with guns and gun control. For example, communities of color and, of course, international listeners, as well as parents listening, how you feel or would feel if you had a gun in your house around your children. And if you feel there is a way to safely monitor that tool, that weapon in your house, I'd be very curious to know. And in future episodes, we will be discussing more political and U.S.-centric issues regarding guns and gun control. But in this episode, we hope we gave a thorough approach to the framework of the gun as it relates to human nature and humanity as a whole. And if I had to summarize my perspective on why guns are so appealing, I would say that guns are decisive tools for fundamentally and historically indecisive beings. And Alex, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on. It was great to discuss this with you.
1: Thank you for having me, Kip. Really glad to be here and talk about it. Looking forward to some future episodes.
0: But of course, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Ours are only two voices, and we would really love to hear from you. So if you have any opinions, feedback, comments, or input of any kind, please reach out to us. You can connect with us via Twitter or Facebook, where if you like our page, you'll receive weekly updates when we post new episodes. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to as well as reviewing the show and sharing it with friends you think might also enjoy it or get something out of it. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.